Welcome back to the 10 Blocks podcast. This is your host, Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. With a new wave of left liberals and even self-proclaimed democratic socialists coming into Congress, the so-called Green New Deal has become a rallying cry for progressives. While details of the plan remain somewhat vague, we know its primary goal is to fight climate change and move the country to all renewable energy sources. Proponents of the Green New Deal, like the newly elected congresswoman from the Bronx, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or AOC as she's often referred to, see the Green New Deal as part of a broader social justice agenda, which seeks a dramatic redistribution of wealth. To talk about the Green New Deal, among other topics, we'll be joined on the show today by Milton Azrati. Milton is a nationally regarded economist, who's had a successful career in the financial industry, retiring as the chief economist for investment manager Lord Abbott in 2015. He now serves as chief economist for Vested and always has unique insight on what's going on in the global economy. Our conversation begins after this. Hello again, everyone. This is Brian Anderson, editor of City Journal. Joining me on the show today is Milton Azrati. We already introduced you to begin the show, but Milton has had a long career in the financial industry. He's been a regular writer for City Journal on economic themes, and he's also the author of most recently 30 Tomorrows, a book on trends shaping the 21st century. Milton, thanks very much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, last time you were on the 10 Blocks podcast uh, was this past summer with my colleague Seth Barron. You talked about President, Trump, President Trump's push to change our trade relationship with China. Uh, do you want to give us an update on what you think is going on there? Recent data show that the Chinese economy is experiencing a major slowdown in its growth rate. Well, it is. It's hard with the official statistics because the Chinese make them up. Uh, but other indicators, a lot of anecdotal evidence and some indicators from the Chinese provinces suggest that their economy is suffering. Uh, they're also losing a lot of industry. Uh, part of it is just the maturation of the Chinese economy. Wages are rising. So Chinese producers are going overseas to places like Cambodia and Vietnam uh, because the wages are lower. Effectively, these countries are doing to China what they did to us. But more than that, because our President Trump has put tariffs on uh, on Chinese goods. A lot of these Chinese manufacturers are moving to these countries to avoid those tariffs. So they're getting kind of a double hit in China. Uh, what's your view on or prediction on uh, how these negotiated trade deals are, are heading, um, especially in the case of China? Some of the recent turbulence in the financial markets has been blamed on uncertainty around the trade talks. Lately, there seems to be some more optimism that they're heading toward a positive resolution, but, but it's, uh, it's hard to say. What's, what's your take on it? Well, it is. The Chinese leadership do not want to yield to anybody. They've billed themselves to their own public and the world as a major world power, and you don't bow uh, even to the United States in that case. However, they are under tremendous uh, economic pressure. 
Um, and Trump, whether he had planned it this way or not, is a large cause of that. There are other things going on, but they are under tremendous pressure. One statistic strikes me uh, about this is that China is less than 10% of U.S. exports to the world. The United States is one quarter of all Chinese exports to the world. So if that is interrupted, they suffer considerably more than the United States. For a while, they were meeting Trump dollar for dollar on the tariffs, but they ran out of things to to tax effectively. Uh, because two reasons. One is because there's so little uh, that we export to them uh, relative to their exports to us. But the other thing is, is about 30 percent of Chinese imports are components from the United States, are components for their electronic assembly, which is a major export. So they can't tax that. They can't put tariffs on that. So they are in a bind. Uh, Their backs are against the wall, neither their wall nor Mr. Trump's wall, but they're their, their backs are right. against the wall, and they want a deal very badly. So for the U.S., I guess the, the outcome would be greater access to the Chinese market, uh, more goods sold there, um, and uh, ideally uh, an improvement in Chinese behavior with regard to stealing uh, technology, things like that, right? I think the the second is is more important in this deal. I mean, Trump would like greater access, but a lot of that is economics, and it works against the United States. I think what he wants is two things, or at least what they're telling me. Uh, the uh, Council of Economic Advisors is saying they he wants the Chinese to. Uh, Uh, allow more people to set up in China without necessarily having a Chinese partner. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he wants the Chinese to give assurances that they're not going to steal technology and other commercial secrets. The problem is they've done this before, and it was a lie. Right. Um, So he needs some kind of assurances. Turning uh, to the domestic scene, we have, as I mentioned in the introduction, a new group of progressive Democrats coming into office. One of the things they're calling for is a Green New Deal. You've written about that uh, for us at City Journal. Do you want to give our listeners a breakdown of the plan, such as it is, as you understand it? Well, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, or AOC, as you said in the introduction, uh, it's a lot easier. Uh, and she really doesn't have a plan. Uh, she has a, a long list of aspirations. It's hard to argue with the aspirations, and it's hard to judge them because there's nothing detailed. The only plan she has advanced is the idea to have a select committee in Congress that will make a plan around her aspirations and report out, at least in her bill, they were to report out in January in 2020. Uh, They have an uphill battle because her list is long and ambitious, but Mm -hmm. it's just a list of aspirations. One of the things that Ocasio-Cortez has endorsed is a 70 percent, I think, uh, marginal tax rate. And even Paul Krugman has written a column saying that this is entirely reasonable. Uh, Can you talk a bit more about that, whether that would indeed be reasonable, what kind of an effect that that kind of a tax rate might have on uh, the U.S. economy. Well, it's interesting, just as a start, her aspirations, what she wants to spend the money on and how she wants to spend the money is a lot vaguer than her plans to get the money, uh, which I think is curious, but um, 
the, she said this rather casual uh, on a news program, although she has endorsed her own casual statement since. Krugman uh, loves the idea, and he promoted it. Um, she has alluded to the fact that the United States had a 70% tax rate in the um, uh, 60s, 70s, and, and early 80s. Actually, we had a higher tax, marginal tax rate even earlier. In the 50s, it was 92%, I believe. Um, and uh, Krugman has supported it uh, with three arguments. Um, one is that it's... Um, easier for rich people to pay taxes than poor people, uh, which is irrefutable. Of course, it's easier for them. That's why we have a progressive tax code. Uh, but it's really beside the point. Um, the point is what it does to incentives for people to work, for people to uh, expand business, for people to innovate, uh, which is the lifeblood of economic growth. Uh, Krugman has dismissed these, but there are a lot of academic studies that at the very least say it's ambiguous, and many say it is, is an impediment. And we've just seen uh, the response of markets and business to the tax cut we got just recently that it does have an effect. And if they reverse it and raise that marginal rate, uh, it will have the, an adverse effect. Elizabeth Warren has started concretizing some ideas for her presidential run as well. Uh, perhaps you could address uh, what your sense of, of her plan is going to look like or her agenda. Well, she actually has given more detail than AOC, um, which makes it a little easier to talk about her plan. What she effectively wants is uh, um, a federal corporate charter that will insist that companies uh, consider interests other than just the shareholder, uh, labor, and the community as well. What she doesn't detail in her plan is uh, who would adjudicate conflicts in those interests. Uh, she also hasn't addressed the federalism uh, or the federalist uh, implications because right now corporations are chartered by states and each state has its own idea of how a corporation should be chartered. Uh, this would just wipe that away completely except for the smallest of firms. You've written about uh, for City Journal in the past the entitlement spending problem in the U.S. It is a major trend and, uh, and a kind of inexorable one. Um, this isn't going to go away. And rising entitlement payments are locking up more and more of the budget every year. How do you see that progressing? Do you think we have the political will to tackle the problem? Um, and where is it going to wind up? Well, not in this Congress. We don't have the political will and, and aren't from either the Republican or the Democratic side. Um, it's growing and there is nothing that in, built into the budget process that can stop it except a piece of a major piece of legislative reform. Uh, <clears throat> Congress votes on the discretionary part of the budget, not the entitlements. They were written into law, and they grow every year. They grow because uh, <clears throat> they were they, the, part of it is health care, and health care costs continue to rise. And they grow because the population is aging, and more people are retiring and demanding their retirement benefits, and of course, with age comes health care demands. So it, it continues to grow. What I think is significant is that uh, over the last 10, 20 years, when it has grown much faster than the rest of the budget, it has been funded by cuts in defense spending. 
relative cuts, not that defense spending is lower than it was 20 years ago, but as a portion of the budget, it has continued to shrink. Unfortunately, I don't have the exact numbers in the front of my mind, uh, but it's unlikely that defense spending can continue to shrink, certainly not at the rate, relative rate, it, that was shrinking in the past, which means that this relentless growth in entitlements is going to start to bite elsewhere in the budget. So everyone in Washington, Democrat, Republican, progressive, old-fashioned, conservative, talks about the need for infrastructure. There is no money for this. Mm -hmm. And every year we wait, we'll have less money, relatively. So addressing this entitlement challenge would be probably the biggest and best thing we could do for the long-term growth of the economy. Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean people have to be put out on the street either. Our system is not the most efficient in the world. A lot of work to do there. Milton, thank you very much. Don't forget to check out Milton Israti's work on our website, www.city-journal.org. You can follow him on Twitter, at Milton Israti. We'd also love to hear your comments about today's episode on Twitter, at City Journal. Lastly, if you like our show and want to hear more, please leave ratings and reviews for 10 Blocks on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and thanks again, Milton, for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.